you know, we're all sitting there having some wine and dinner. Um, and she said, you know, guys, one thing I don't really understand is why Elon's so lazy. And, uh, you know, people dropped their forts, kind of looked over like, you know, what, what, what do you mean? She said, well, you know, he, it'd be nice if the guy would get some ambition. And we said, oh, you know, taking the planet off of fossil fuels, making humans an interplanetary species, you know, um, sounds pretty ambitious. Um, and she said, well, you know, I, I, I just think you guys should have a little bit more ambition and not be so lazy. If Elon were to just go one more planet um, to Jupiter, right? he would essentially have like a 400x. It's basically a small sum, but he's just lazy. He's just going to Mars, right? He could just go one more planet. And so we all kind of <laughs> laughed and she said, you know, you guys should name your company uh, one of those ridiculous Silicon Valley names like Zooks or Jewel or Uber, one of those like four letter names. And she was like, you guys should call it Juke. Welcome to Behind the Stays, a podcast that shares the stories behind your favorite Airbnbs and the hosts who've made them memorable. Behind the Stays is brought to you by Sponstaneous, a free weekly newsletter that brings you a carefully curated list of last minute deals and upcoming steals on Airbnb. Sign up at Sponstaneous.com. I'm your host, Zach Cruz. Enjoy the show. It's 11.32 p.m. on a Thursday night and you wake up in a panic. You forgot to send your guests the custom lockbox combination for your Airbnb and you missed the 17 messages they sent saying that they couldn't get in because you enabled sleep mode on your iPhone. You know, to try and cut down on screen time before bed and all. After apologizing profusely and sending them a bottle of bubbly in hopes that they won't leave you a one-star review, you think to yourself, how do other hosts stay on top of guest communications? The answer? They use Guesty for Hosts, an easy-to-use rental management platform. With features like automated messages that send important communications to guests at the exact right times, you'll never have to jeopardize your beauty sleep again. Guesty for Hosts allows short-term rental hosts to manage listings from Airbnb, VRBO, and Booking.com in one calendar and send a series of automated messages before, during, and after the guests stay. The platform also has features that help you manage cleanings, build a custom booking website, and so much more. You can start your 14-day free trial today, no credit card or setup fee or commitment required, and you can cancel any time if you don't love it. And it gets even better. While getting started for the first time, use the discount code SPONSTANIUS for 20% off your first year. Again, that's SPONSTANIUS. Use that discount code at checkout for 20% off your first year. In just a moment, you'll meet Jeff Wilson, the founder and CEO of Jupe. Jeff is a serial entrepreneur in the real estate technology industry. If you were to have asked Jeff as a child what he wanted to be when he grew up, he would have either said a garbage man, a doctor, or a builder of solar-powered cars. So yes, his interests have always been quite varied. Before founding Jupe, Jeff founded the award-winning micro-housing company Casita, which was named one of Inc. 25's most disruptive companies in the world, alongside the likes of SoFi and Hyperloop. 
Jeff is also known as Professor Dumpster. He lived in a 33 square foot modified trash dumpster for over a year as part of a minimalist living and housing experiment during his time as a professor in the University of Texas system. In this interview, you'll learn how Jeff sees the world, why he's so passionate about using Jupe as a vehicle to make off-grid living accessible and enjoyable, and how short-term rental hosts can join the Jupe platform and design unforgettable, soul-enriching experiences for their guests by placing a Jupe on their property. All right, without further ado, get ready to meet Jeff Wilson. How are you doing today, sir? Welcome to the show, Jeff. Fantastic. Where, where, where are you, by the way? I, did, I should have asked. I am in Texas right now, okay. uh, but I have been on uh, the last few days looking at Jupe sites around Aspen, uh, or out by the Burning Man site and Joshua Tree. Uh, things are, yeah, things are really blowing up. This space is uh, going crazy. Are you are you one of those people that like can adjust pretty well to like time zone changes? Like, does it does it bother you at all, or like are you, are you just used to it, second nature by this you point? Know, oh yeah, it's second nature. I don't even really look up. Um, I think the only time I notice is when I start getting pinged, you know, by Apple of like, hey, do you want us to auto change this time zone? I'm like, <laughs> what time zone am I in? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And are you are you? I assume you're flying to most of these places. You're not you're not driving, are you? You know, I really like to drive. Really? So I just drove about 30 hours from um, meeting up with some folks in LA, some customers out to Joshua Tree, and we set up three sites in about a day. Dang. Then I went up by uh, near Burning Man, looked at a site where we're going to put down eight jupes, then drove uh, to Aspen and then to Denver. Jeez. So I did all that in about four days, but it really sort of brings out this uh, thing that we're really trying to capture with Jupe of like how much land and how much gorgeous nature there is yeah. across the country. Yeah. And so I really love driving through that uh, rather than flying over it. Yeah. Ooh, that's good. Okay. That's interesting. Uh, well, we have a lot to talk about today and I am really excited to hear the founding story of Jupe get to you know, learn a little bit more about you. We've talked a couple times now, but I don't, I don't know you that well. So I'm excited to dive into all of that. I thought it'd be fun um, to kind of just kick off, help, help, you know, the audience get to know you a little bit better by if, if you could just share some, you know, weird or, or strange thing that, that you do or, or that you think, uh, I think that'd be a fun way to kick off our chat today. Yeah. You know, it was kind of, this is a question that I asked folks in interviews and uh, it was kind of hard to answer myself. Uh, so, <laughs> I actually asked, uh, I have a 14 year old that I actually asked this morning, uh, you know, what, what, what's something that dad thinks or does different. And they <laughs> said, um, well, uh, most people don't enjoy living in dumpsters. <laughs> so we can get into that more. Yeah. Um, I actually did enjoy it. Uh, but I think one of the other things is like, I try to reduce almost everything uh, to uh, the number one, right? Hmm. And that doesn't mean like looking out for number one necessarily. Um, it uh, is around just getting to, I guess, first principles. Okay. Elon talks about this a lot. And, you know, I'm constantly telling my team, like the best part is no part, right? The best process is no process. The best, like, you know, 
additional thing that one of our customers has to do is, 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 is nothing. And so like, I, I think I've done this in a number of things in my life. You know, one of them is I just essentially have one pair of clothes. Last time we talked, huh. uh, I was wearing the same kimono, like the same jumpsuit. I wasn't going to uh, say anything, but I, I yeah. but I do, I do recognize it. <laughs> yeah. I, um, so I've sort of reduced to that. I've reduced to, um, you know, one, uh, one meal a day. Really? Um, just trying to get down to uh, sort of the, the the number one as a but but, as a but why like like what like what what's the thinking well, what's the reasoning often there? there's not a why um, I don't figure it out later it's just sort of kind of a hunch of something I want to try um, but you know take the clothing thing uh, that part of my brain is never occupied with figuring out not even uh, you know which uh, you know what I'm going to wear in terms of on a daily basis but uh, not even which jumpsuit, black jumpsuit I'm going to wear because there's one. Wow. Right? And so- uh, So wait, do you you just like, do you like smell all the time or do you like do laundry all the time? Or like, how does that work? I do laundry, I shower occasionally. (laughs) I I take care of these things. Um, And you know, I, I have like a set of tights and one pair of shorts and a pair of sandals and a pair of shoes. So it's not like I, that is my jumpsuit and that is my one solitary thing, but I wear the same thing every single day. Wow. So it's like, you know, if I happen to mix it up with a, uh, you know, maybe a new hat or a brand new jumpsuit, like people notice. <laughs> <laughs> And then the once a day eating thing is really convenient in that, you know, you save a lot of money, you save a lot of time, uh, but also it's like really, really hard to gain weight, Mm. uh, especially if you don't have time or you don't make the time to work out. You have to eat a lot of calories in one meal. It's pretty, pretty, pretty hard to stuff your face at, uh, you know, to the point where you can actually gain weight. Very, very interesting. Well, this is already one of the most interesting conversations that I've ever had. So uh, let's let's keep it going. Um, I I want to hear a little bit more about you know what Jupe actually is. So you're the co-founder and CEO of Jupe, which mm-hmm. I pulled this directly from your website, right? You guys talk about you you identify yourselves as a flat packed off grid housing technology company. So if you had to explain, you know, like what the hell this actually means to to a 10 year old or somebody that's never yeah. not used to this jargon, how would you do so? Like, how do you talk about what I would is? say that like a this magic box appears on, you know, your land in your parent, your grandpa's, uh, you know, back backyard, right? Uh, that that the outside of town sets up, pops up in an hour and a half and it's ready to sleep in. Hmm. Right. So, you know, your grandpa wouldn't have to like pour a foundation, uh, run utilities, uh, buy a bunch of furniture, buy the bed, the home, like it literally pops up and you could stay in it that night. Wow. Um, And so uh, there's a lot that goes into that, building everything into this sort of flat packed box, but we can fit 12 of these on one truck. Right. So it's pretty incredible in terms of us being able to deploy these and set them up quickly and then eventually take them down and move them again. Wow. So we have a much broader kind of mission as a company than just a box that pops up into a outdoor hotel room. Um, But we can get into that later. Yeah. Uh, Very, very well said. So quick follow up question there. So when you say like pops up, like once once the truck like drops off a jupe. Uh, on a piece of land 
like can can any Joe Schmo like pop it up or do you need somebody to come in and like set it up for you in yep, an hour so and a half? We usually, you know, it, you, you get it off the truck with a forklift. Okay. We usually send a team to do it. Okay. And so you lift it off, uh, you level it out. It doesn't even need to be on level ground. We can uh, level it out with these self-leveling feet. And then a couple of guys jump out of the truck, uh, assemble the superstructure, which they're really tall. They're about yeah. 12 feet tall. Okay. Um, throw the top on, plug the solar panels in flip on the switch and you've got light electricity fan electric blanket all that stuff the batteries come pre-charged so um it's a it's a pretty cool concept i mean one of the things we don't do we ship experience but we don't ship air mm. right and generally when you're looking for a hospitality experience out in nature you end up, you know, having to ship a whole truckload of stuff to get the bed, the end tables that, you know, that the patio even comes included in the box. So this is what people I think really like about it. The yeah. magic. of. It. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, just to dive into a little bit, you know, deeper around like what what this looks like and like. I'm going to describe it based off of what I've seen and your, yeah. you know, virtual background here. And you correct me um, with all the, you know, wrong descriptors that I use to describe what a dupe is. But it looks like a like a high-end, like luxury, like incredibly well-designed like tent. Um, and it looks like there's this beautiful mattress. Uh, it looks really comfortable. I don't know what the, what the mattress actually is. And then there's, you know, clearly this this foundation with a bunch of different compartments where you can like store like your clothes or your suitcase or, or, or what have you. And you, as you mentioned before, like you, you guys use solar to, you know, give people access to, to power so they can charge their phones and whatnot. But it's a, it, it almost looks like a spaceship, like, like a, like a yeah. mini spaceship. I mean, that's how I would describe it. You know, it looks like a cyber tent from outer space. Right. <laughs> um, and, you know, in fact, we have designers from and engineers from Tesla and SpaceX that worked on this. It wasn't normal like tent designers. And we combined those folks uh, with some of the folks that built the Airbnb brand hmm. um, and uh, also some of the top uh, boutique hoteliers in the world, uh, Liz Lambert. Uh, out of Austin, who a lot of folks uh, will know, uh, helped us actually design the units and outfit them. And, um, you know, we've, we've we put together a stellar team to build this new kind of uh, experience. We really wanted to give people a high design feel. You can't really tell any two tents, any two yurts, any two tiny homes really apart, mm. but no one is ever going to mistake a jupe design and experience for really anything else except maybe a UFO. <laughs> <laughs> I can see that. I can see that. And, and, and then I guess I should um, also expand on what you said about, uh, you know, what's in the floor. So yeah. it's like if you can imagine like an 18 inch, um, almost like shoe box, it's 18 inch is thick okay. by about 13 feet long by eight feet wide. Within that shoe box, you can open these compartments. Now, one of those, you have the batteries and the inverter and all the stuff to run the solar. Um, and some of the other ones you can store 
up to five changes of sheets. So you're not always going to wash them, hmm. right? You can also, we've got lockable cabinets for guests for suitcases. And now most recently we have actually an air conditioner that drops into one of those slots that we're using out in Joshua Tree wow. that actually drops the temperature significantly. Now you've got to plug into the grid for that aspect of it if you want that. But if you've got uh, power on site, now you've got the ability to air condition. Um, all of this is like in the jupe when it arrives, right? All the furniture, a headboard, yeah, right? A, a bed, a mat, bed frame, a mattress, the end tables, a porch, all of that stuff. Literally, you pop it up, throw sheets and pillows on it, and it's it's ready to go. It's ready to rent an hour after it shows up. Wow. And so I, I want to talk a little bit more about who you are and because you're you're clearly a very interesting person. And I did you know, do a little bit of Googling, found some cool articles that I want to ask you about. But, but, but before that, like, like why, why jupe? Like, like why spend your time focused on this? Like what, what is the problem that you guys are really trying to solve? Yeah. And like, is it, is it really just, Hey, I want to get, I want to create alternative options to people staying in Airbnbs. I really love travel. Like, like what, what's the bigger why behind building a spaceship tent? Well, I'll start with why I'm interested in it. Um, the most uh, viewed TED Talk ever, I'm probably going to fumble the title a little bit here, but it's something like inside the mind of a procrastinator, right? And so, um, you know, there are a couple of different types of folks, folks that don't procrastinate, and then a lot of us, I'm included, that do. What procrastinators need is a deadline, some end time, right? And uh, around that deadline, this, this monster called the panic monster shows up, and then we always just kind of get the stuff done, right? <laughs> and so, um, you know, in life, you often don't think about that there's a deadline as well. And at the very end of that talk, the most important part of it that he puts up is a, 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 a chart with a bunch of little squares on it, very small squares of grid. Well, each of those squares represents a week in your life. And there's not as many as you think, right? And so I think about that chart and that like, hey, I'm pegging off a square here every week. And what I really want to do by the time all of those squares are done. And, you know, I would like to do something that leaves a lasting impact sort of on the world for as many folks as we can. And so when you think about that, you know, housing rent, mortgages, the way we use land, use the grid, the interaction with the environment is, is, is one of those things that's just kind of completely screwed, yeah, right? Yeah. Food's a distribution problem. Clothing, you know, has mostly been figured out, but between food, clothing, shelter, shelter's really kind of screwed. So we are actually taking a longer approach here. The next thing we're making is a bathroom. Then we're making an off-grid flat packable sauna. Then we're making an off-grid flat packable Zoom room that mm. runs off of Starlink. Mm. And pretty soon we'll have an entire village that we can set up on a truck or on a ship that all flat packs down. So this does some very interesting things in terms of you know society. We've got costs down, people can now live where they want. I can imagine that folks would one day live uh, on the jupe um, platform, 
on a subscription almost if you had all these things. And so what we're trying to do is bring very deep nature, very deep technology, and then some inspiration from deep space together so that you can have your deep nature and your oat milk latte too, right? <laughs> uh, along with your gigabit uh, internet connection. So long-term, you know, there's 1.5 billion people on the planet that don't have adequate housing. That's the problem we're going at. And we're, you know, at the same time trying to pull everything off grid. So it's really about giving humanity a little bit more runway because we're probably not all leaving for Mars and becoming interplanetary overnight. This is, this is, uh, quite the goal. Um, <laughs> this, I mean, this is, this is incredibly got some work to do, man. but, but we no, but this is, this is, this is amazing. So uh, I, I, the first question that comes to mind is like, like, what did you want to be when you grew up? Like, did you, like, were you always this sort of like uh, big picture thinker of, hey, I see problems all over the place and I just want to solve them? Or like, like if, if I were to ask 10-year-old Jeff, like, what do you want to be when you grow up? Like, how, how would you have answered that question? Yeah, you know, I found something um, from uh, about that time, maybe a little bit earlier that I had handwritten that I guess my mom had saved where we had to write projecting into the future to like 2020-ish sometime. I didn't really uh, write anything about global pandemics, but <laughs> it was something to the effect of, you know, Dr. Jeff Wilson, MD, hmm. right? Um, had just invented a solar-powered electric car. Um, I, I guess I didn't understand that medical doctors probably weren't the <laughs> we're same as like PhD in engineering. You know, it said something about, yeah, being a researcher at Harvard. Uh, so, you know, I don't know. I mean, back then, that was some number of years ago, maybe 30-something years ago. Um, I think I'd always maybe had... Uh, some sort of hankering, you know, or some sort of, to use the Texas phrase, uh, some sort of, uh, yeah, interest in the environment and the wider kind of bigger goals. Um, I, I uh, would not have guessed, uh, you know, what that, that, that I would one day like live in a, in a dumpster for a year. That probably wasn't something that, uh, you know, most kids were aspiring to be or their mothers were asking them to do, but yeah, off and on, things like that came around. So you you got to tell us this dumpster story too, because anyone that Googles your name will find it. There's like a Times article that's written about it. So what what is the story behind that? Like like how do you go from this kid that had big dreams you wanted to do? I mean, it, those are pretty like specific dreams, actually, right? Like a or like a, a specific vision for your future. So like how did you like where did you where did you go to school? You eventually did get your PhD. How did what's the story there? And then how did you end up living in a dumpster? Yeah, I um, so I, I really lost that dream, right, at least consciously. I didn't remember ever having written that, you know, and, until my mom sort of passed me that note recently. Um, but yeah, I, um, you know, was a sixth generation Texan, grew up on a farm uh, outside of Austin, um, went to the same school that everybody else went to, a state school in Texas, 
Um, got pretty deep uh, into Silicon Valley right before the first dot-com uh, boom and bust. And then uh, after the bust, decided I wanted to go uh, into academia hmm. and study environmental science. So went on and got a master's, did a PhD, um, studied environmental science, um, did end up going to Harvard for a short while uh, for my postdoc. Um, and, uh, then, um, yeah, I guess I got kind of bored hmm. with the academic life and the impact it was actually having on the world. And well, especially um, because, because you started off like in Silicon Valley where there's lots happening, like innovation is, is synonymous with the location. Right. And I'd imagine going from that culture into e even sort of like the highest circles of academia is, is, is quite the oh, contrast. It, it's, it's a different, it, there are different worlds and they both have their, uh, you know, strengths and weaknesses. Yeah. I mean, in Silicon Valley, uh, around the first dot com boom, you know, I was working on, um, one of the coolest pieces of hardware, uh, on the planet at the time, a, a, a small uh, a hard drive the size of a quarter, huh. right, that uh, spun really fast in front of a little drive that would go in, in, inside of a laptop. Um, and then, you know, ended up in academia. It's extremely rewarding, the teaching side. Um, you know, the research can have brought an impact as well. But, you know, I uh, was one day working on a paper. I think the paper's name was um, Interurban Concentrations of Particulate Matter Less Than 10 Microns in Diameter and the Adverse um, Implications for Epidemiological Cohort <laughs> Studies. I think I lost you after uh, the second. Well, I there. lost myself after <laughs> the third, right. So I kind of looked up and like, what the hell am I doing with my life? Right. The thing with academia is you learn more and more about less and less to, you know, everything about nothing. And um, I kind of saw myself heading down that wedge and like, what am I going to do with my life? And I looked up, I was at a Starbucks. There's a guy that jumped out of a garbage truck, said, Jeff on his name tag opened up these doors and then dumped this dumpster. And for some reason, I don't know how I connected these things, but I said, you know what? I'm going to sell everything off I own and I'm going to get this symbol of waste, this symbol of trash and do like a uh, educational experiment for a year by selling off everything I own and living in one of those. Jeez. And so uh, that's what I did. You know, the university administration already thought, I think, probably thought I was a little off. And then I went to. You confirmed the, it. <laughs> the leader said, hey, uh, I'd like to do this living experiment. They said, oh, tiny home. I said, yeah, very special tiny home. And so, yeah, I mean, it was actually uh, incredible. I, um, I learned so much uh, about small space design hmm. firsthand, as they say, dog fooding out in Silicon Valley, like eating your own dog food if you're selling dog food. Um, which really came in handy on uh, my next couple of startups. Um, and also just about the practicality of first principles, right? Like, you know, there's a lot of, you know, a dumpster does what it's supposed to do. Hmm. And it does it at the right cost. And it does it very efficiently, right? And so, 
you know, I think I went back to a lot of those principles of making things efficient at the right cost and as simple as possible when we, uh, you know, when we put together juke. It looks nothing like a dumpster. Yeah, I was going to say. (laughs) There was a lot of stuff I learned there. Yeah, for sure. Wow. So, okay. After this experiment, you're still, you're still teaching. And then at what point do you decide that you need to go start a company? And, and like, yeah. what, what's the story there? And, and talk, talk to us about that, the company that you started and a little bit about the story there. Yeah. So the story was, you know, I, I learned a lot about housing, code, zoning, um, mechanical, electrical, plumbing. I never had a bathroom in the, the, the dumpster, um, you know, and spent a lot of time thinking about these things and also spent a lot of time thinking about affordable housing. I was in the most rapidly gentrifying zip code in the United States at the time. This mm. dumpster was living, it was in East Austin. Um, and so saw a lot of the kind of housing problems. I said, okay, I see an opportunity here to use very small slices of land. There are these little plots of land all over cities, these hidden little plots that are little triangles, squares, alleys, you know, side lots, where if you could design a small enough structure that you could stack on top of one another, then you could utilize those pieces of land for affordable housing. Hmm. So um, I went and raised a little venture money. And I quit my job as a dean and an environmental science professor and um, launched a startup called Casita with a K. And uh, it was supposed to be the iPhone of housing. We had a software package. Uh, We designed it with industrial designers and built them in factories. And uh, after several years, started deploying them. And uh, man, you know, I learned a lot about the startup scene. Uh, I learned a lot about how hard it is to make hardware. And I learned a lot about, you know, the sort of business model that you needed uh, to make, get these things off the ground. And I'll have to say I failed. Like, you know, I, in a parking lot of a uh, grocery store in North San Antonio at 4.59 on a Friday, I had to lay off 40 people. Jeez, jeez. And, um, you know, uh, it took a long time just to be a little vulnerable about it to, to, to recover from that. Yeah. And I still, it still makes my sort of heart, my, 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 my stomach sink, right. Thinking about it. Uh, but luckily, uh, we, we made another go at it. And we're able to apply some of those lessons in juke. So when I'm curious, like when you were in Silicon Valley, right around the, the dot com um, boom how did it compare like how how did the startup scene compare then to this time like what were what 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 if yeah. anything was like was was noticeably different you know i don't want to be all boomer about it like the 60s were <laughs> you know free love and sex drugs and rock and roll but man that boom at the end of the 90s even made the crypto kind of thing not seem so crazy huh literally like just snap a dot com on the back of almost any business and ipo it wow right yeah and i mean the insanity in san francisco and down the valley at the time was peak and um 
you know, the, the crash was just as hard. Yeah. Yeah. Like it was over and it took years, right? It, it took three, four years. It was not like the global financial crisis, which we were down for about 18 months. And that it's a big question right now. And, you know, we went through uh, this, this startup school called Y Combinator. Um, Jupe was sort of privileged to be one of the few hard tech startups in Y Combinator. And so talking to a lot of other founders, talking to folks that have been through these a few times, you know, we may be in a uh, downturn in the startup world that ends up a lot more like the dot-com bubble than the global financial crisis. Yeah. Yeah. Is, yeah. I'm curious, like, were there a lot of, a lot of founders who, that, that, you know, people like in your circles that were, that were a part of the, the movement sort of like the, the scene then that then like got back into it. Cause like, I would imagine for many people, it was, I mean, it, you know, many people like lost everything, right? Like, and it was, I'm, I'm sure like yeah, a lot of people were like, I mean, so, screw so startups. Here, yeah. like, I mean, here's what's happened. Like, um, I will say that everything, a lot of the kind of numbers, yeah, right? Yeah. And the um, proliferation of uh, just companies and capitals in order of magnitude or two more, right? Like, I mean, the startup thing, everybody wants to be a founder right now, right? Everybody wants to start a company. We just didn't hear that. Yeah. Even yeah. like, you know, really 10 years ago, yeah. much less 20. Yeah. They're just, I didn't know. I mean, I was at IBM, right? I didn't know that many startup founders. There were a few really big ones. And in Silicon Valley, it was certainly more prevalent. But now everybody's starting a company, yeah. right? And, you know, up until very recently, money was just sloshing around everywhere in the venture community. And so, um, you know, I can't say uh, I, I knew any founders at that time even. Yeah, interesting. Um, had some friends working at startups and they all, you know, uh, the, the guys convincing me, trying to convince me to leave IBM were instantly like paper, um, you know, uh, at least millionaires, yeah. if not having tens of millions. And then that all kind of a, a, a evaporated pretty quick. Yeah, that's crazy. So 4.59 p.m. on a Friday, you're in a parking lot and you have to let a bunch of people go. And Casita is is done or is, is sold off or whatnot so what what happens after that like how long does it take yeah you to like i can't I, yeah i can uh, so casita didn't die in itself um you know somebody else uh picked up the assets and actually it still continues uh they may actually have a uh develop it, development coming together um this year hmm. on south congress in austin um so it, it, it did survive in one sense or another, but that was December 2018, right? And uh, so, so, so hopefully uh, something will get built at some point. Look, um, I didn't know what to do. Uh, I uh, moved out to the far west Texas desert, um, you know, uh, got, got, got a bar with a few partners, a, a little Texas dive bar, uh, had a trailer out there and was, you know, pretty much the failed founder that was never going to have another idea and kind of live my life out uh, in a town of 50 people uh, on the edge of the farther Chihuahuan desert. <laughs> and um, 
I really thought that might be the end of it. Right. Um, and, uh, so yeah. what, what, what changed? Like, was it, was it a, a mindset? Was it a perspective? Was it just an no, idea? Uh, you know, it was, uh, it, it was an, a, a, an idea, uh, to, uh, create a, a, a portable kind of foundation that I had started talking to a friend about and then realized that we could fit the whole house into the foundation. Mm. Right. Mm. So rather than, uh, just saying, let's have a foundation because with modular housing, housing in general, nobody's really done anything with the foundation. Yeah, right. You still do it in a very old school way, no matter how innovative the 3D printed home or the container home or the tiny house, you still got to pour this big cement foundation, which, by the way, uh, creates a lot of greenhouse gases. Right. Hmm. Like that process is very uh, taxing on the environment. And so I was like, why don't we just create a modular foundation that anybody can build on top of? And then I saw. Um, actually something out of the automotive industry, uh, the, uh, an electric vehicle company called Rivian. They have a skateboard chassis, which isn't much different than the chassis we've been building cars on since the late 19th century, since Mercedes has. Um, I said, you know, why don't we have a chassis for housing, right? Why don't we build something that acts as the foundation, the base, but also has all the batteries, all the water, uh, the air conditioning, like it used to be on the floor, like all that stuff packed into that foundation. And that was the real first kind of inspiration for Jupe. Huh. And, you know, then uh, we, we kind of moved forward with the idea that like right now it's got a tent on top. We're developing a hard top. Right. So we will you, you will eventually be able to put Adobe on top of a Jupe platform. You'll be able to put five Jupe platforms next to one another and have a 550 square foot house. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Interesting. With hard walls uh, that still sets up, you know, in, in, a, in a day without what, a foundation. What, what's so cool about about your story, too, is that like there, there is a lot of consistency, right? Like what you were trying to do at Casita is not. I mean, it, it is different, obviously, than what what Jupe's trying to do. But there's there's a lot of you know synergies, right, between oh, solving for this problem. Um, so, so a lot of the folks who are listening to this podcast are short term rental hosts uh, and or they're entrepreneurs in the STR space. What it, what is the way that like your average STR host might be able to like interact with Jupe today? Like, yeah. I know that you guys. Talk to us a little bit about like how somebody who owns a plot of land, they might have an Airbnb or another short-term rental on that plot. Like how might they interact with Jupe? Yeah. So our customers um, are all first like landowners, right? So we don't do things in the urban space. So you would have to either have or have your eye on a piece of land in a beautiful place and a good market and uh, what Jupe would do is say, you, we'd look at the piece of land, see if it works, and then basically say, hey, we're going to show up uh, with a number of Jupes, drop them on your land, we'll put them on our booking platform, we'll also cross-list them on Airbnb and everyone else, and we're going to get into a partnership where uh, we're going to license you that Jupe for a one-time fee, okay. and everything will be there. 
right? All that stuff I said, the bed, basically you throw sheets on this thing after we set it up and it's ready to rent. And then we will brand it. We will digitally advertise it in your market. We are adding IOT sensors to these where you're going to be able to know when people check in, check yeah, out in yeah. a freaking tent looking thing, right? Yeah. Um, you'll be able to eventually turn the air conditioner on and off as they check in and check out so you're not using energy. Um, the other thing that's really cool that we'll do is we will actually replace your jupe. So after a few years, we'll pull that used one out. We'll put a brand new model down, right? By the way, we'll be able to push software updates to these things as well uh, to kind of create a better experience. And the old jupe we'll use for disaster relief for people that have lost their homes in wildfires in wow. California and Colorado. Wow. wow. So at no additional cost, this is like for life, we continue to replace these, right? So nobody else does that um, out there in the space. And it's just a way that not only will save you some money on sort of CapEx, right, on your upfront expenses. Um, but also, uh, you know, you don't ever have to worry about maintenance on these units and you don't have to worry about building a deck, dragging foundations, like all of this different stuff. Yeah. The other thing that's really cool about Jupe is I know the regulatory structures very well from Casita because Casitas were going in California and Texas and many other states. And so we really designed Jupe around the code, right? Jupe doesn't need a foundation, check. It doesn't need any grid connections, check, right? There, it's it's a um, soft top, right? That's a different sort of thing. Uh, you, uh, it's under 200 square feet, so often considered a shed. It's mm. semi-permanent. It doesn't have wheels, which often, so I've basically designed Jupe such that it can slide through as much of the code as possible and often a lot of zoning. So if you've got a, you know, house, uh, with a good piece of land on the back side of it, or you got a piece of land with nothing on it, right? Uh, you can go to the Jupe set, uh, website and sign up. And uh, usually myself will get on the line with you first, figure out if it's a fit, and then uh, see if we can do a deal. We've got uh, Jupes at about 15 sites now everywhere. Mm. Uh, they're going in in Canada this week. Uh, so all the way from Ottawa, stretching all the way down to Joshua Tree, and then in the Northwest, as far up as Portland, um, you know, all the way down to, uh, uh, I guess the, the Carolinas right now. Fascinating. So that this is, this is super, super cool. When, when you were, you raised a little bit of money, you said for Casita and you, I imagine had to raise a decent amount of money to, to kickstart jupe here. So what, what was like the difference in terms of fundraising, like the first time around versus, versus this time? Well, um, Wow. I mean, um, I don't really even know where to start. <laughs> I think, you know, because being a, it, it's not really a great pitch of your entrepreneurial prowess to say you just moved out of a dumpster <laughs> and you were a tenured uh, professor that could never be fired. Basically, <laughs> safest like uh, sort of environment that uh, coming, coming from kind of the safest, most conservative environment to 
being a hardware startup <laughs> yeah. entrepreneur and housing, right? Um, and then just the network that exists, right? I, um, you know, uh, literally met my first investor at Casita uh, in, in, in the men's room. Um, <laughs> I, I, I won't go, uh, you know, into the story re- too, too much, but basically washing my hands right at the sink, I recognized uh, a guy that was on our board at the university and said, hey, I'm that guy living in the dumpster. I've got a business idea. Could I uh, pitch you? <laughs> he kind of looked around, let me finish washing my hands and then handed me his card. And that guy ended up writing us a check for a hundred thousand dollars, our wow. very first check wow. uh, at Casita. Um, you know, the, uh, there are other things I learned uh, as well. And, I think going back to this like rule of one and just making things simple, hmm. my pitch deck was so complicated at uh, Casita initially. Um, my pitch deck became at Jupe literally 99 point font, emojis, and pictures. That's simple. So that I was simple. never able to fit more than maybe 10 words on, on one slide. slide. Yeah. And, you know, I, I just the, 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 the thing that I use now as a framework, I think it may have come out of Y Combinator is what they call like, I think the five FU questions. Hmm. And so rather than kind of giving all the answers in so many details in a very early stage uh, pitch, it's almost better to give the high level story and tell the story and tell a little bit about you and your founders in the market. And then hope that the investor will ask you five questions. Yeah. If those five questions, uh, first off, it shows they're engaged, right? They actually care and are listening. But if you're able to answer those in a kind of FU fashion of like, I know my stuff so well, right? That I'm able, you know, you're, you're kind of like, so, you know, the idea is that you know, when somebody asks you about, okay, you said it's a market growing at 20% year over year and it's $6 billion. And they say, well, what, how can you even say that? Well, then you've got a backup slide, right? <laughs> I'm glad you, you asked. Up with all this analysis and they're just like, damn, yeah. this guy, you know, really knows Did his, his homework. Stuff. So, yeah. So, Every time you're asked a question during a pitch, right, you can just build another one of those backup slides. And, and pretty soon, if they do ask five questions and you answer them, uh, they'll often make the investment. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so that's kind of how I go about at least my early stage decks right now. And that was probably like, I mean, just a small thing that I learned. So I have to ask, where did the name come from? Like, what's the story behind behind branding Jupe as as? Yeah, Jupe? it's it's kind of crazy. I mean, we were initially called Simple Structures, and it this actually wasn't my idea. My partner at the time, uh, we'd gone to a celebratory dinner. I don't know. We had had a term sheet or something uh, for this company called Simple Structures, and uh, you know, we're all sitting there having some wine and dinner. Um, and she said, "You know, guys." One thing I don't really understand is why Elon's so lazy. 
And, uh, you know, people dropped their forks, kind of looked over like, you know, what, what, what do you mean? She said, well, you know, he, it'd be nice if the guy would get some ambition. And we said, oh, you know, taking the planet off of fossil fuels, making humans an interplanetary species, you know, um, sounds pretty ambitious. Um, and she said, well, you know, I, I, I just think you guys should have a little bit more ambition and not be so lazy. If Elon were to just go one more planet um, to Jupiter, right, he would essentially have like a 400x. It's basically a small sum, but he's just lazy. He's just going to Mars, right? He can just go one more planet. And so we all kind of laughed and she said, you know, you guys should name your company uh, one of those ridiculous Silicon Valley names like Zooks or Jewel or Uber, one of those like four letter names. And she was like, you guys should call it Jupe. Wow. After Jupiter. That was it. And so we laughed about it off and on. And then uh, we were able to get jupe.com from a guy that whose high school nickname was Jupe, who was into affordable housing uh, for a steal. <laughs> no way. So no way. We, we, we changed the name. So, yeah, we are uh, that that's the there is actually a story. And I have the receipt from that night at dinner where I tried to calculate uh, the relative uh, surface areas of Jupiter and Mars, and I was off by like an order of magnitude. <laughs> that is that Blame is an amazing story, dude. Yeah. That that is that's fantastic. Well, I'm glad I asked. Um, so, a cu couple of final questions for you, for you, Jeff. So, looking out over the next like six to twelve months, obviously things are still early. But you guys got 15 sites. You're growing like crazy. Lots of exciting things happening. But like, what what do the next six to twelve months look like? Like, what are you in particular most focused on? Is it is it the more sites, the, you know, the better right now is, is there product changes that you're focused yeah. on? Like where's your head at in the short term? So, you know, the Y Combinator mantra is to talk to customers and improve the product. So that's what we're doing right now. Yeah. Right. Um, we have two customers, the landowner, the operator, right. That we rev share with and do, do the licensing deal and then the actual guest. Yeah. And so the, the rev share partner needs to be happy, right. With the uh, quality of the product, our ability to market it, our booking platform, all that, but ultimately, Ultimately, the experience needs to be Tesla-esque for the guest. Yeah, yeah. There need it needs to be insane, yeah, right? Yeah. And right now it's pretty cool. You show up in the middle of nowhere with no internet connection, the grid nowhere nearby, and you crawl into this spaceship with track lighting and an electric blanket. It's pretty awesome. But there are things to improve, and we need to continuously talk to the those guests and improve the product so that it's constantly improving. And we're able to do that because we actually make them in our own factory and design and engineer them. Hmm. So that, you know, that is one thing we'll continue like the air conditioner, right? That yeah. never existed yeah, yeah. before. And people are like, you know what? It's hot in Joshua tree in this tent during the summer. Oh, okay. The next thing then we should probably work on is air conditioner. The other thing we're doing is building out the product roadmap. Right. So the next thing we're developing is a super cool bathroom for people that don't have plumbing or a septic on their site. We'll be able to, uh, you know, sell them, license them. This, I mean, it is, I cannot describe how sick this thing is. <laughs> it's like being in a piece of art. Wow. Uh, it has sound, it has LEDs, it has, um, 
basically it will be the most mirror selfie porta potty in history. I can guarantee. <laughs> Dude, that's amazing. Oh. Um, and so, you know, and then after that, we got to figure out what's next. It'll probably be a zoom room, right. Yeah. With the Starlink connection. So you can stay out in nature a few days and still do a podcast or a call like this. Yeah. So um, that's what we're really excited about um and, and and continuing to build out these sites and the experience so you guys are also you, you mentioned uh, guests being able to book directly through jupe so you guys are building out like a whole a whole booking system too that that's right so you'll be able to go to um jupe.com and see a few of our sites and uh book directly on our website or go out to these partners that may have their own existing sites um and, you know, that's the idea is that eventually once we have our app, our community and somebody has that Tesla like experience, it's kind of a holy shit experience in a jupe, say in Joshua Tree. Well, when they're traveling to a, you know, partner um, in, say, uh, the Catskills, right, in upstate New York. Well, they're going to say, hey, that experience was so awesome at that Jupe site there. I can just go on the, you know, Jupe website and I can see what might be around here. Or maybe they even get a push to the app that we'll be building late this year saying, hey, you know, you're part of the Jupe community. Why don't you stay in this one? And then the idea would be, um, say, next year, when more of this IoT stuff is built out, when you walked into that Jupe, your Spotify ah, would click on. Beautiful. Right. Yeah, it knows so we can you. begin to build. It, it begins to know you. Yeah. And, you know, if you really like dark chocolate, Trader Joe peanut butter cups, those will be in the floor in the fridge when you arrive, because that's what you want. Yeah. That's the kind of experience we're trying to build. Dang. Wow. This is incredible, man. I mean, first and foremost, congrats. This is, uh, it's super innovative. It's super different. It's, uh, solving real problems. And honestly, it's just freaking cool. It just looks freaking cool. So, um, if, if folks want to learn a little bit more about you and a little bit more, you know, about, about Jupe, or if folks have land and they're interested in kind of assessing whether or not their site might be workable for you all. What's the best way for them to learn more or, or get in touch? Yeah. So there are a few different things. Um, you know, jupe.com, J-U-P-E.com uh, is where you can find uh, a bit on uh, what we're doing from a hospitality standpoint. We're also hiring. So uh, if you just click the careers button um, on the website, uh, you can see a lot more about what we're doing as a company, the bigger vision, and also see the open positions. Um, and then if you'd like to uh, partner up, uh, there's a partner button on there that you can click and uh, it will in an automated way set you up uh, uh, to, to chat with me if uh, the land qualifies. Um, so those are the main reasons on uh, Twitter. I'm Prof Dumpster, Professor Dumpster, P-R-O-F Dumpster, and uh, we're Jupe Inc. on uh, both Twitter and Instagram. And if you're listening to this, guys, and you can scroll down to the show notes and I'll have all the links that Jeff just mentioned uh, easily accessible there. Uh, but thank you so much, man, for taking time out of your busy life to come talk to us, share a little bit about your story. I think it's a phenomenal story and super excited about what you're building. Fantastic. And uh, we're excited to maybe we can do the next one from uh, the Jupe, uh, the, the, the most selfie Jupe porta potty in uh, history. 
Let's let's do it. Sounds like a date name. Uh, love it. Love <laughs> and I, it. And maybe I can raise some money from you while we're there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. All right. All right. All right. All right Thanks, buddy. man. Good to talk, man. We'll see you. Hey, friends. Hope you've enjoyed today's show. If you are an Airbnb host or know an Airbnb host who'd like to come on the show, please send me an email at Zach, Z-A-C-H, at spontaneous.com, and we will chat. Behind the Stays is brought to you each week by Spontaneous, a carefully curated weekly newsletter that brings you the best last-minute deals and upcoming steals on Airbnb. It's sort of like Scott's Cheap Flights, but for Airbnb. You can sign up once again for free at spontaneous.com. Last but certainly not least, I didn't believe in Marie Kondo's whole spark joy mantra until I started podcasting. Now, my joy is sparked every time I see a new subscriber roll in. So please hit that subscribe button so you never miss an episode. And so you add a little spark to my joy fire today. Okay, that was kind of weird, but um, we're going to roll with it. Subscribe. Um, And thanks in advance. All right, everyone. See you next time.